I'm Anna Kapsner, and this is my father, Peter, and this is the Deeper Magic Podcast, and I think you should do it instead. <laughs> Isn't that fun? So I mean, it, it is something like, hey, everybody, thanks for listening to the Deeper Magic Podcast. I'm Peter Kapsner here with my daughter, Anna, but that Hi. sounds like so... That sounds gross. It I don't does. Like it. it doesn't sound real at it the It sounds end of the very day. static. You're listening to Deeper Magic. This is the Deeper Magic Podcast. Uh, that comes right out of Narnia. I'm sure we will flesh that out, address that out, to tease that out much later is why we're using that phrase. I am Peter Kapsner. This is my daughter, Anna. And, uh, and why don't we uh, just sort of jump right in because you and I have a problem. Like Shocking. major father-daughter problem here. Just uh, one? Well, the one that we're going to talk about. Okay. I was going to say, there's a list. Yeah, there's probably a number of them we shouldn't podcast Chronological, about. Chronological, alphabetical. But this one we needed to podcast about because, um, as you know, you should know if you mm. don't know, um, I uh, I am a very, I'm having a hard time getting through this without. Yeah, no, it's okay. bad. So I'm going to do this. Okay. Uh, I'm a very important Christian figure. Mm-hmm. I, I, I teach in local Christian universities. I and can't look at you. I'm trying so hard not to laugh. Yeah, I teach in local Christian universities. I teach in seminaries. They somehow have um, commissioned me to be a professor of something called Christian Ministries, which means they oh, have yeah. entrusted me with not just young people that want to get into vocational ministry in churches and in parachurches, but they, they sometimes trust me with adults that are in ministry and pastors. They entrust me with teaching people how to preach. They entrust me with people about leadership, about theology, social issues. All your issues. students love you for well, some reason? Uh, they do, but it, it is a little goofy. And but, but here's the problem. My whole life has been being involved in the church. I've been mm-hmm. on the radios we've talked about. I'm still part of the radio and, and talking to people all around the country and world about all this kind of stuff. So my whole life has been in the church. And here's the problem. You, my daughter, my previous pride and joy, mm-hmm. no longer can possibly now, be pride, my pride and joy. biggest disappointment. My biggest disappointment. Fulfilling my true destiny. You are indeed. You, you don't want to go to church. No. And uh, I haven't for years. And I refuse to except on special occasions. Like Christmas. But other than that, no, I don't really go to church. So what am I supposed to do with that? Because I have to stand up in front of public uh, and people in public and, and represent the church. And uh, mm-hmm. and then behind the scenes in my hidden life, um, mm-hmm. I have this 20-year-old rebellious daughter who has absolutely no desire to go to church. I should write like an expose on that and just be like Peter Kapsner's hidden home life. <laughs> right. His family has rejected the church. Yeah, it would just be called the rebellion. His failures as a parent. Totally. <laughs> And, and of which there are many, <laughs> and and you are my biggest failure by yeah. far. You yep. you do not want to living go to, proof. You are living proof. But here's the odd thing, right? I mean, yeah. you're just you're just back uh, a few months ago from Scotland, um, mm-hmm. having decisively and distinctly followed the voice of God to go to Scotland um, for a wide variety of reasons that probably escaped this particular podcast episode, but will be yeah. something worth mining in later. And so as much as you're an abysmal failure um, with really no hope I'm glad in future, we decided yeah, this to is, do this. Yeah, no, I know, me too. This, this is really good. Publicly, I know. Uh, uh, an abysmal failure not attending the church, but if I asked you, are you following Jesus with your life, what would be your answer to that? Absolutely, yes. And like you said, I decided to move overseas because that is where I felt God was calling me. And I signed up for university there and the whole deal and did a year and then was like, all right, and God is telling me to come back here. And so I dropped out of university there. And now I'm back at Bethel University, which is where I started in the first place. 
after I dropped out of Northwestern two weeks before I was supposed to move on campus. Mm. So it's been a wild couple of years. And yeah, like you said, the the complexities of all of that would take too long for this episode. And honestly, I don't understand all of the complexities of it. And I don't think I will for years. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do think that I am doing my best to follow God and to follow Jesus and and see where he is leading me. But um, I will be the first to admit that I don't always do a great job of that. Well, um, but I am trying my best. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's just so many topics we're going to be able to talk about, and 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 this particular episode will just be you and me. Mm-hmm. But we have a whole stable, like literally a oh, stable yeah. of people that are going to be joining in the weeks ahead, and any number of topics, including what you just brought up about what it means to live a life of ongoing failure and humility within the beautiful grace of God as we follow the voice of the Shepherd in this life, and and and. So your desperate disinterest, to quote a friend of mine that says that, yeah. uh, of attending institutional church is also matched by your desire to, in ways that you fail, and like we all do, but you are following the voice of the shepherd in this life. And you have Absolutely. decided, to, you know, the, the, the kingdom that Jesus has brought about, you've said yes to. And so mm-hmm. I think for probably some people, right, this is probably really confusing because the kingdom uh, that Jesus is king over is sort of the synonym with the church. And yet yeah. they actually are not at the end of the day in terms of how they are in the Bible, but they're right. they're not in how we tend to think about church today, right? Because at the end of the day, Absolutely. I what are so if I say if we just do a free association exercise, you and me, and I say yeah. the word ball, you would probably say round, bouncy, you know, I don't know what I was you gonna know. say catch. <laughs> well see, that would be it. So if we did another <laughs> like this this Freudian free association exercise. Can we where, not do anything with Freud. I yeah, really no, I'm not, not a fan of that. No, he's guy. super not he, he is among the most unhelpful people that, that, I, that I've studied. Um, but uh, but if I just said church, what are some of the pictures or images or whatever that come to your mind? I mean, I see the church that I attended for several years. I can see um, the main greeting area. I can I can see the stage. I can see the lights. Um, but I am starting to associate church less with a building and more with the idea of a community. Mm. Um, and when you said something a minute ago about how it's probably a little bit confusing that I am a follower of Christ, but I don't go to church. Abysmal failure, I think is the word that I used. That was, yep. Um, if I can make that even a little bit more confusing, I did not have a relationship with God until after I left the church. Wait, what? Say that again. That was, yeah. Um, Yeah, I attended youth group and church pretty regularly through early high school, probably freshman or sophomore year. Um, And then the Sunday church part of it kind of slowly dropped off. And I kept going to Wednesday night youth group because all of my friends were there and I like seeing my friends. Um, But for me, my favorite nights at youth groups were the nights where we didn't really talk about Christian stuff at all. And we just kind of hung out and were together and talked about our lives and spent hours as a group just eating and talking and singing and playing and resting together. And like, those were my favorite nights. And eventually there was a point, it was kind of late sophomore year, early junior year, um, that I pulled back from a lot of different things. And youth group was one of those. And I just never really went back. 
And then all of my crazy experiences with God kind of started when I was 18 um, because really long story short, I ended up in a place where I didn't have anywhere else to turn. That that was the only place that I could go. Um, And yeah, and so I had never had a relationship with God in all of the years that I had been in the church. It was not an environment that taught me how to have a relationship with God Mm. in any way that I found applicable to my actual life. and so I kind of went through and I did the steps and I filled out the like fill in the blank on the Sunday school pages and whatever. But I I didn't realize until I had an actual relationship with God that until then I wasn't sure if I believed in God because hmm. I had never experienced him. Yeah. Well, so we need in a minute maybe just to get a working definition of church that'll help maybe Absolutely. clear up some of this confusion. But but I it, would you say it's safe to say that of course a lot of people in the fifteen to twenty two year old age group are still going to a building that we call the church. Like our free association yeah. exercise tends to be if I say the word church, we think of what you just said: building, greeting area, worship team, pastor, totally. pulpit, like all that kind of stuff. And we'll get a different definition in a second, but. But I think even though there are still communities of people that try to gather in that way, would you say the vast majority of people within your age group, and I would say actually within my age group as well mm-hmm. as you know this ancient ant-like uh, creature Absolutely. that I am, um, are actually pretty disinterested in practicing their faith within this specific kind of context. Uh, context, Because I know there's churches that have thousands of people still in that form of it, but compared to the hundreds of thousands of people, and the friends yeah. that you know and the people that you know, they're just like, meh, I don't really want to like do this deal anymore. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it um, is that I I find the church a very alienating place where as soon as I walk in, I'm looking at the clock and wondering when I can leave. Mm. Um, but I feel like I have to be there or I'm not being a good Christian, regardless of the fact that so I've I've said a few times that the church is not where I find God. It's not where I experience relationship with him. Um, and there's a, a quote that I pulled up professional that I that I am. Yeah, you are um, from one of my favorite. You're way more books. prepared than I am right now. Oh, you, you have, you have a PhD. <laughs> I have a Bible passage. Yeah, in the here, PhD man. just stands for masquerading as having some <laughs> level of expertise. But you do have a great quote about it. I do all have this, a great yeah. quote. Um, but one of the main characters in this book that I really love, it's called The Starless Sea. It's by Aaron Morgenstern. I would really highly recommend it. It's beautifully written. Um, but the main character calls himself Agnostopagan. Mm-hmm. And he says that he is spiritual, but not religious. So, okay, just right. That is the phrase of the day. Absolutely. There are so many people that are spiritual, but they're not religious, meaning they don't want to be a part of some big organizational thing. But yeah, continue. And that's it's such what, a great how I would define myself. Yeah, of sure. course. Of course. It's a common um, way. But he says his church is held breath story listening and late night concert ear ringing rapture and the perfect boss fight button pressing (laughs) that his religion is buried in the silence of freshly fallen snow in a carefully crafted cocktail in between the pages of a book somewhere after the beginning but before the ending. And I think the idea of finding the little everyday things sacred and opening those spaces as as places to invite God into 
is what I have been doing in my life. I have experienced more from God sitting on the beach watching the ocean than I ever have sitting in church. Yeah. 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 Okay. So why don't, why don't we just get a quick working definition of Absolutely. church that we're talking about? Because I think, I mean, you and I clearly, and in, in what we've said so far and where we're heading in this episode, it's, it's going to be a critique of the way the church organizes today, but, yeah. but we both share the same heart. And we've talked about this before getting into the podcast and many other conversations that um, there's some sort of really bitter biting criticism and that's not where we Absolutely. are. Like we, like I, I don't have a ton of, in, in my years of ministry now that I have behind me and seeing all these different ways in which the people of God have organized, I, there is an end that is present in the way the church has been organizing itself. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But you and I are not bitter about things. Like we, no. when, the, when the working definition of the church is not a building with a steeple and a sign and a website and a staff and four people picking worship songs for a thousand other people. And then they, you know, shine the spotlight on the skinny jeaned worship leader who has the perfect beard and perfect little hair and perfect little, you know, glasses. And okay. As someone sorry. who's like <laughs> two of my best friends, their dad is a worship pastor. Yes, I know. But That's not so a- funny because your description is on the nose. Yeah, I know. But but thankfully those are the people that like they are not like trying to play to that persona, right? I oh, mean absolutely. which is but but being behind the scenes again of Christendom, there's all kinds of conversations going on about how the pastor should present themselves to be relevant to the congregation so people want to keep coming to the church. And so this whole attractional model again that totally. will well, reference, but like that's how when you when most people hear the word church, understandably, their free association goes to the place of building, website, steeple, sign, skinny jeaned worship pastor, um, the the pulpit where then the pastor comes up with. Then they all, they must go to like pastorglasses.com because they all have Absolutely. the same they glasses, all look right? The same. And the, and then they've done their demographic analysis with the Barner research and and everything, and they're like, well, people need blah blah blah, and so they come up like, hey, blah blah blah, you know, and and everyone <laughs> has the same opening and like I'm like I'm on the inside of all of this stuff I see it yeah. over and over and over again and that's what church is but the problem is is that isn't church according to scripture no, I mean, when, when we see the word church in scripture it simply just means something along the lines of the people of God who are following Jesus who are empowered together by the spirit to shine the beautiful light of the now and coming kingdom into this world so that all people would be brought safely home I mean I can say that definition a thousand times over Absolutely. it's the people of God following Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to shine the light of the now incoming kingdom so that all of the beautiful image bearers in this world might be brought safely home. Now, mm-hmm. in all of that is evangelism, deception, and all those sorts right, of words. Right, right, right. But, but then... You've said the definition twice. I do expect it another 998 times. So just, so just to get our head around. Okay, so one more time. The people of God <laughs> following Jesus, inhabited by the Spirit together mm-hmm. to shine the light of the now incoming kingdom so that all of the beautiful image bearers in this world for whom Jesus died, I'll just add that part, there you um, go. might be brought safely home because every because God would will that none would perish. He's after everybody. And, Absolutely. and that is the church. Now, that's the church as the people. It's actually wrong to say, I'm going to church because it'd be like, I'm going to Hallie, who's, you know, your right. mom, my wife's name. I'm like, that's weird. I don't go no. to church. I'm a, I'm a part of the body that is the church. And how we gather together. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you and I just did a study throughout time and generation, how the church gathers really changes in a wide variety of ways. And so we're, what we're talking about today is that the way that the church is gathering, I have some friends of mine that are deeply into this too, that they will flat say, it just needs to die. It hasn't been helpful yeah. uh, if for many people. It has been helpful for some, and you and I are fair-minded people. There, because God's graciousness is so 
gracious. Right. Like he, he will use whatever wineskin to try to meet his people. But at the same time, when you see the rise of the mental health crisis, the confusion um, on so many different social topics, people that don't really know where to turn or how to turn. And, and what we're doing is we're gathering for an hour on a Sunday uh, with an intention to draw as many people as we can into, the, into this building. Yeah. Um, uh, what you and I are critiquing today, and I know you have a series of things that you're going to say specifically about why you don't want to go to church. The critique is not of the people, um, because of the organization. It is. I mean, there by the grace of God go you and me. We, we are abysmal. We look at like kidding aside, we are both abysmal failures in our life and and amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And we're part of a community, um, that is, uh, doing the best we can to live within the grace of God to shine that light of, uh, of the now incoming kingdom. And, and, and we do that in a variety of ways. But I do think in fairness, this wineskin that is the institutional church where we've been trying to attract as many people to a little event on a Sunday morning to try to pay the staff. Yeah. Maybe that one, it, it's a really weird model in the context of church history. It doesn't work. Maybe that one could stand to have, oh, I don't know, its last breath uh, because yeah. there's a different kind of gathering coming. Well, and I think, first of all, I would I would make an addition to your definition because you I can't. I, I said that definition three times. Well, I'm it is established. I'm going to do it anyways. Okay, I'm fine. Already a failure. You are, so there's you are not doing. much further down. Okay, that fine. I can go. You can add to it. Um, but I think that not only is it the people of God and and all of the things that you said in the yeah. three times, <laughs> which were brilliant. Let's just be clear. That you said them. Yeah, it was brilliant. Right. Um, sure. But I I would add that part of what we are being called to do is to live life together. Yeah. And what of we course. what we talk about so much in in our house is the idea of I versus we. And, and the idea that we all have our individual pockets of life where we are at the center, like the spider diagram when you're trying to brainstorm for an essay, right? <laughs> right. And so it's like, <laughs> I am in the center and then I go to this school and this church and this job and this house and these things and whatever. And from there, I have little people that branch out from all of those little places <laughs> that are there in, in other aspects of my life. And sometimes they overlap. Sometimes I know someone from my job who is also at my church and like all of those things. But at the center of all of it, the thing that connects all of it is I. Right. Like, right? what a weird way to understand the world. Well, it's how America is built. It is individualism and Western culture. It, it, it has um, elevated the I to the, to the exclusion of everything else. Absolutely. And so I would argue that part of what we're being called to do as Christians is to live life from the idea of the we, yes, where the thing sure. in the middle is the church community. And I don't mean church organization, I mean church by your definition. Right, right, right. And so I think that that community is the thing that is supposed to be in the center. And from there, we have, as individuals, our branching things, but that is the thing in the middle, that is the core of all of it. And that that I think it's an essential part of that definition that we are being called to live life together and I'll talk a little bit more about that later and the idea of why bonding as a community and and being together and living together is so I don't mean living together as in we're all living in the same house. Yeah, like the, but the commune like, thing has like has always been appealing no, that, on one level and very disturbing, and very disturbing. On, a level, on another level. <laughs> yeah. I know, and I know. Historically, as a woman, the idea of a commune oh, yeah, has no, not it's, it's, gone well for there's me. There's not many great so, like, examples of <laughs> Not that. enthusiastic about that plan. Yeah, indeed. But, <laughs> but the idea of doing life together where we see each other, we talk to each other, we have meals together, we like mm. our 
house, we have people come and stay with us all the time. We have people pop in. We have people come over for meals. We have people bring food. And mm -hmm. like, I, whenever I come home in a given day, I never know who's going to be in my house. And I don't either, which no is so one fun. Knows. I know. But it's so fun because it just means that our place is a place that is safe for people to come and be. Mm -hmm. And like that is I think an essential part of what we're being called to do as Christians. Yeah, I mean, so that's the that's the church. I mean, we could talk about a lot of different definitions of the church, but you, you've said it just beautifully and even like drawn out what's in that, that it really, uh, almost every you statement that you read in the New Testament is actually plural, not singular, because yeah. it's understood to be a people. So in light of that, I know you have a series of, of, of things that again, as we talk about, what what I think you're going to talk about next is actually just not you. This is reflective in the research. This is reflective in the students that I talk to. I usually have about 100 students every semester that I'm talking to, and we talk specifically about these things in the church. And, and, and again, there's a lot of good things that have happened within these institutional sorts of settings. But at the same time, there's a, I mean, maybe I would dare to say that there's more things that have been really troublesome for people's lives, Absolutely. theologically troublesome, emotionally, relationally troublesome. So you're about ready to highlight now sort of one by one, and we'll talk through them, a, a series of things that are representative of you, but I think are also very representative of what research shows and certainly what I hear from the best and brightest of my evangelical kids that I'm with, you know, hundreds of at a time every year. Absolutely. So take yeah. us into like what, what's maybe, so you, as the abysmal failure that you are, you don't want to go to church, give, let's, what's one reason why? I mean, I think the primary one for me is the idea that I decided to devote my life to God because I am in pursuit of something more and I am not finding that something more in the church, mm. which means that it is not conducive to my relationship with God. Mm because I am following God in pursuit of something more and I'm not finding it there, just like I'm not finding it in a bar at 3 a.m. So why would I be going there to look for that something yeah. more? So about 30 years ago, you and I have talked about this at length, the yeah. church made a, a decisive philosophical decision to, to, uh, to bring into being what's called the seeker model or what we could call the attractional model. Mm -hmm. And that model really worked well in terms of what it was meant to do. And what it was meant to do was to attract as many people to a Sunday morning um, to get them into the building for that hour to introduce them to Jesus. And I think there are some really good intentions about that model. Absolutely. Um, and, and it worked. I mean, they created coffee shops. They had sermons that were, I suppose, relevant, which, I mean, some other time, can we please talk about relevance as not being yeah. funny and hip and cool and YouTube video, but actually talking about like the intersection of what matters eternally in our lives. That might be relevant. Right. But, but I won't rant about that just now. But but the point is, is that it was terribly successful in growing massive churches. And because it started in Willow Creek the way that it did in Chicago, uh, and they were so successful by those metrics, bringing tens of thousands of people in, so many other churches around the country, and I remember being on a staff at the time, we were like, what are they doing? We got to do what they're doing because they're so successful, quote unquote, by those metrics. And so we have been living in about a 30-year season where most of the philosophies underpinning why we gather is to try to draw as many people as we can onto a Sunday morning. So when you talk about looking for something more, I mean, you have... We all do have significant social and relational and spiritual questions and um, concerns and wonderings and, and sometimes desperation and sometimes the nights get long and sometimes it's hard to fall asleep and sometimes our friends reveal things to us that we don't even hardly know what to do. And you're telling me the best way 
that we can, dare I say, use a terrible biblical phrase or terribly use a biblical phrase here, uh, <laughs> equip the saints for ministry. The best way we're going to do that is gather for an hour on a Sunday and watch a few people do some worship songs and listen to a 20 minute sermon and have a bad donut. Yeah. And have a, have a bad donut and probably some lukewarm coffee. Although there's some churches that have some really good coffee these days. That's I will say really that true. I can get some really yeah. good pours of coffee when, when I go, but you're just saying you're looking for something more like you want to grow. You want to, to become Absolutely. a person of substance and, and character and stability. I mean, to actually be a disciple is to become increasingly Christ-like and, that is really difficult in the context of a one-hour service that's meant to attract as many people as possible into its midst. Absolutely. And I definitely have a couple of things about that. Is that, uh, first of all, I, biblical scholar that I am, <laughs> I have the, the Great Commission pulled up yeah, from, okay. from Matthew Don't, 28. Do not use the Bible to try to inform how we're going to do our lives. Oh, Never. <laughs> Never. Um, <laughs> but he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Couple things. It's a beautiful passage. Actually. It's, a beautiful it's a beautiful passage. passage. First of all, I would like to point out that nowhere in there does he say, do everything you can to get as many people to come to this church as possible. That's weird. I know, right? Um, I would have thought for sure that was in the Bible. And this might be a little controversial, but here we go. Um, Verse 20, he says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I would argue that Christendom, as it currently stands, has turned the concept of church and evangelicalism into an idol and wait, it what did you just let me finish because no, that's the second time i've said that to you yeah. <laughs> wait yes. what um, sorry that at the risk of like you know glitching in my brain wait what if you want to do one really big wait what at the yeah. end of the sentence that would be awesome okay i'll try to wait for that yeah um so they turned the concept of church and evangelicalism into an idol And then they decided that in order to truly follow God's command to spread the word to all nations and teach them to obey the commandments, they had to reject a lot of what Jesus said so that they could become a successful business. (laughs) But they're going to also turn around and teach those things to their congregation. And so the people who are teaching us what Jesus said are not, often are not living what they are teaching because they are so focused on being a successful business that they have sacrificed what they originally intended the church to be. And in that they have replaced church or they have replaced God with church and evangelicalism because it's also incredibly arrogant because it means that they believe that God's word and God's presence alone is not enough to bring people in the door. They've decided that they need 12 minutes of worship and soundbite sermons and YouTube videos and donuts and coffee and parties and all the fun things in order to get people in the door and to keep them in the door. And that means that they've decided that God is not enough to do that. Wow. And so I would argue that God is not present in the church as it is because they've turned it into an idol and they've replaced God with the church as it is in Western culture today. Wow. That was a lot. No, no, no. But so here's the thing is that... um, I didn't know you were going to say all that. Like this was, you know, let's just say that you and I are not terribly scripted with no. what we're going to talk about. Um, and 
And I, I can't think of like, if I was listening to this right now, I would suggest rewinding that, um, 90 seconds that you just provided, because I think you struck at the heart of why now two or three generations into this attractional movement, we see increasing numbers of people who are not growing in stability and they're not growing in wisdom and character and courage. Um, they're living increasing lives of quiet desperation. I mean, the rise of the mental health crisis alone, it should be enough evidence to make us actually like snap to. And if the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different outcome, um, maybe the better and honest, like rawly honest thing to do is to evaluate what is it that we've been doing. And, and, um, and so what I would say about your analysis, uh, Anna, is that as a person who runs a business, um, like the other half of my yeah. life, uh, besides being this, can we just say again, this really important, visible Christian. Absolutely. You know, um, but people I, but deeply I, love and respect. Right, right. Um, but I... But what I'm troubled by is that I will go to my business and we will try to understand the marketplace of the business that I run so that we can create products that are in line with the business that um, we're running so that we can provide an income and a living for the people who are part of the business. And I might have all sorts of meetings in the morning mm -hmm. about demographic analysis and marketing and how many people we need. Uh, and then guess what? I go to the church in the afternoon and I've been yeah. in more meetings that I care to count where it is the exact same conversation, just a different kind of business. And it is demographic analysis, who's coming, how do we meet their needs, what products do we need? I mean, if you were to plan a church today, yeah, the typical outcome or the, the typical process would be after we've decided if you're gifted enough to do so, but I'm not sure what metrics, um, that... They sat in a circle and prayed about it yeah. and the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they decided that this person was holy enough to run a church <laughs> because they themselves are holy enough to decide that. Right. And, and, and on top of that, they would add all kinds of strength finders and everything. Else, Absolutely. Right? And so, you're very charismatic. I know. Very, I know. That's the thing. And you're relatively attractive. You could probably. That's the thing. You yeah. know, how well do you speak in public? All of that. And then what they'd be encouraged to do is to do a demographic analysis of the city in which they plant the church to determine the likely income level of most people in that city yeah. and then you decide okay and there's actual mathematical equations like I'm sure there's parabolas I always was terrible at parabolas but I'm sure there's parabolas <laughs> in, in these mathematical equations that teach you okay so we need to have 100 people come into church and they're likely to give this amount so that me as a pastor, us as a staff, uh, mm -hmm. will have the income to be able to continue the ministry and have ministry for the building and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's metrics, but and, and here's the thing, they call the people the giving units. They don't even call them people, Which they call them giving disgusting. units. It, it's, if that shouldn't wake us up, that the beautiful image bearers for whom Jesus took on the full weight of sin and buried it in those waters of death and came out the other side to life. The people who we have been commissioned to shepherd and take care right. of and, and we're teach them giving and units. love and we are calling them giving and, units. And people are counting um, each week to make sure enough giving units are to keep the organization running. Um, and they're being encouraged to speak as charismatically as possible to keep the people in the seats. And now this goes to your point about the idolatry of it. First Corinthians says, um, Paul is very clear in verse 17. He says, I did not come to you with wisdom and eloquence. And Paul could have. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had every last pedigree letter after Absolutely. his name. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees and a zealot and a keeper of the law. He was one of the most well-respected people at all. And he says, if I come to you with my own wisdom and eloquence and my own power, I will actually strip 
the cross of its power. And so to your point, and so this is my long like response to what you just said. Yeah. Um, God is not enough. And um, I think if we just sort of step back and just like sit with that for a second, and, and, and I think it's worth the caveat to say that our pictures of God really matter. Um, and we're going to talk about this, I know, in future episodes, that where our sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Like, I mean, we're going to have a whole, our whole second episode is about this ridiculous um, picture of this angry God who's mostly waiting to chuck us into hell. And then like all of the weird versions of salvation that come from yeah. that, that just simply aren't biblical. God is for us. And God, out of love, gave up everything uh, in order to break the power of sin and death in this world. And and where our sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so, um, so we can be rawly honest and say, you know what? We probably have stripped the cross of its power in many, many, many scenarios in church ministries because we've been more concerned with church as a business that can sustain an income for my family. Um, and if suddenly the church is declining a little bit, I'm worried about that. I mean, yeah, you, you were in your mother's womb when I lost my first job in a church when I was sort of ushered out the door. And now I was suddenly without an income and it was terrifying. And many pastors Absolutely. live in the terror of not having enough giving units to be able to sustain all of this. And in, in, in all of that, maybe have we stripped the cross of its power? Well, and and first of all, I would say that I think we have stripped our image of the cross as we have created it of its power. I don't think that we have had any effect whatsoever on the kingdom of God. We, we don't haven't? have that You mean the power. kingdom of God is safe? And one of my favorite <laughs> conversations that I've ever had with another human being was she said something to me about how she was saddened that some of the things that I was saying might mean that somebody wouldn't end up in a place where God would want them to be because my negativity might prevent them from doing what God wanted them to do. Yeah. And my response to her was, I don't think that I as an, at the time, what, 18, 19 year old, have any ability to stop God from doing what he wants. And if he wants that person in that place, <laughs> that person is gonna be in that place. And me saying a few negative things isn't gonna do anything to stop that. Right. And so I don't think that we have had any effect on the power of the cross or on the power of the kingdom of God. But I think that we have created an idol. It's a, an idol. A false, it is an small idol. image of of the true beauty that is intriguing enough to get people in the door, but it's not providing any real substance. Um, and with the idea of giving units is is just the idea that that phrase, what that communicates to me is that the church is not there for me. Hmm. The church is there to provide income for those people. Yes. And the we've talked a little bit about this is that in the interest of me growing and changing and developing as a Christian and to use all the Christian phrases, um, which we call Christianese, so that that term will come up a lot, um, but to grow in my faith and live my life through Christ and all of those things that make me throw up in my mouth a little <laughs> We're bit. We're going to have a soundboard filled with all sorts of Christian oh, cliches. Absolutely. I can't wait for the future. I'm yeah. so excited about it. Um, but the what the church is teaching is not helping me do that. Because if you're functioning as a business, you are focused on bringing new people in the door and keeping the old people there. Yep. And so they can only teach That's called things. retention, Anna. Don't you want to have retention? No. Oh, gosh. I, no, I, I, I just threw up in my mouth a little I bit know. saying that. I know. Right? Yep. Um, yeah, it tastes bad, doesn't it? It does taste bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
the idea that like they have to teach on the surface level because it has to be comprehensible enough that the new people feel like they get it and they don't leave going, I didn't understand any of that. That didn't make any sense and I don't want to come back. But they also have to make it sound profound enough that the people who have been coming for years and years and years are like, oh, wasn't that so fulfilling? And I'm like, no, I have heard this same thing taught a million different ways, a million different times. You are not giving me anything new and you are not giving me anything that is actually going to further my relationship with God, because if you did, you would alienate the new people who walked in the door. Mm. But you're not providing any opportunities outside of the Sunday church service for me to grow in my faith in any kind of fulfilling way, because those prayer groups make me want to throw up. Like they are so exhausting to me because I just want to talk about real stuff. And all people want to talk about is their daily devotional. And, and I think, um, and, and, I know we have a few other things that we want to cover in terms of just some some difficulties. And again, these will be themes that we'll weave throughout um, this deeper magic. And by the way, we haven't ever really defined why this is called the deeper magic. And, and we, right. will, we will do that. It's a reference to Narnia. Um, but the, the thing that is so troubling about what you just said in terms of, of what we do is that the kingdom is this expansive, beautiful, um, almost entirely unearthed place right now um, in terms of w- w- the ability... Well, it's not even the ability. What? Okay. So if, if a kingdom is a place in which there is a ruler of the kingdom that has a way of life that then is what makes the kingdom what it is, um, dare I say that we have um, deeply missed in many ways and certainly have unmined the beauty, wonder, and power of what is life in the kingdom. But Absolutely. At, at the altar, sacrificing that at the altar of having it palatable enough for the seeker and interestingly enough for the person who's there week after week. And maybe we've missed 99% of what kingdom life is. And that's, and that is why I think so many people in your generation are like, I still have deep and profound spiritual questions, but I cannot find the help or the more that I need within this context of week after week coming back to the same thing. That's mildly entertaining, somewhat interesting, maybe a a few self-help points clearly has three points that are going to rhyme or start with the same letter because somehow I'm going to remember them. Here's the thing. I've never, ever, 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 ever uh, remembered a sermon um, at like one fifteen on a Sunday afternoon just because it had three points that started with the letter P. So let's let's just like take that off the table uh, right now. But but that's Peter, how we te- PhD. Yeah. Well, if we, if and was, we need a third one. Yeah. Well, um, my presence, my presence. Like okay. I, I'm self-absorbed enough that it was about me. Then I, I might remember it. Then you might remember. Okay. So there's not more because the church is functioning as a business and is trying to operate that way. You've got a few other things to just yeah. talk about too. So what what else is in your your sort of little well and just there? sort of continuing sort of branching off from the idea of church as a business and not really offering that something more and then struggling to find real like applicable teaching in the church um, is we've talked a lot about the concept of a lonely life or a lonesome life because that is something that you say you hear so much from my generation is that we're all cripplingly lonely. Oh, it's on Anna. When I talked to, when I asked my room, like once I've built a level of trust with my students and I ask a room full of 30 students, how many of you feel lonely or isolated or don't know your story or or to the people whom you belong? Um, 
it's 29 and I'm being generous. It's, it's probably all 30 hands in the room are like, yep, I am lonely. And what you're exhausting. And what you're describing is then yet we're being called to a lonely life because we're not going to fit into the kingdoms of this world. And well, yeah. And so I, what I would say is that Jesus's teachings and the things that he asks us to do, and then even going back to the Old Testament, shock and horror, because we can actually go to the Old <laughs> no, Testament for what? teaching, not just the gospel. That's the crazy. Letters. Like, no. So wait, actually, do you mean that when Paul says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for rebuking and training and all sorts of other stuff in righteousness in, 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 the, in the passage in Timothy? Here's the thing. The New Testament hadn't been compiled yet. He only could have been re- referring to the Old. <laughs> what a, a controversial statement also, you're making. Not the Old Testament just is relevant. Genesis. No. There's more than Genesis. What? There's a lot. Wait, what? See, that's the fifth one. <laughs> wait, what? I need that a, button. be a button. I need a button. That should be the button. That's going to be where the first go, button. Wait, what? I wait, what? Yeah, yeah, no. But so the thing is, is that I would argue that all of the teachings of the Bible are calling us to live our lives in such a way that will set us apart from other people. Set apart's the word. And there's a, well, there's a beautiful quote from one of my other favorite books, which is, um, it's from the Raven Cycle series. The book itself is Blue Lily Lily Blue. It's by Maggie Steve Otter. You literally paw like anytime Maggie Steve Otter's name comes up, like you I'm literally so you almost cry. I love sometimes her you so laugh, much. sometimes you fall over. Like I mean, I know she She is my favorite. She author. does like uh, like teaching seminars in castles in Scotland. It's like which, so cool. you know, and of course we've lived in Scotland and been there. We love it. That's like our, our second She's home. She's amazing. You like I know, you you just let's just let's just pause. And Breathe it in. I would say in any podcast episode, you need to reference Maggie Stevewater. So she's got. I've had more of an emotional reaction to her books than I have to the Bible. <laughs> okay, we need to talk about that one later too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what she says here um, is, she says there is no good word for the opposite of lonesome. Mm. One might be tempted to suggest togetherness or contentment, but the fact that these two words bear definitions unrelated to each other perfectly displays why lonesome cannot be properly mirrored. It does not mean solitude, nor alone, nor lonely, although lonesome can contain all of those words in itself. Lonesome means a state of being apart, of being other, Mm. a lonesome. Yeah. And so I would argue that Jesus is calling us to live a lonesome life. We certainly are not going to fit. Your mom and I talked often as you guys were kids. It was like, you know, the herd is going to be running a certain direction. Absolutely. And there's a profound and understandable temptation to run with the herd. But let's just step back and look at the values of the herd. Because if this world is a broken place, the values of the herd um, probably are not going to be the values of the kingdom. But that doesn't mean we don't love the herd. And it doesn't mean like grace covers for all of us, like every person that we meet. However, odd to us they may seem like there's a there there's a movement of, of love towards them but to live the life as a follower of jesus means that you're probably not going to be operating by the the ideas and principles of the herd and so it is a lonesome life it really is and the thing is is that i would say that the church is calling us to live that lonesome life and a lot of people are trying to do that but the church is not providing us with the community mm. or the tools that we would need in order to be able to live that life well And so many people are rejecting the church, they're rejecting Christianity, they're rejecting God, and they're turning to other things to try and fulfill them. When I would argue that Christianity, I mean, I would argue that God is what is going to fulfill them. Yeah. And it's it's hard to watch because they're calling us to live this lonesome life and they got us in the door and they're like, fantastic, have a gluten-free communion from a stranger <laughs> and go and live your lonesome life. And they let us all out the doors and we sit there going, 
what the hell do we do now? Yeah, for like, sure. It's terrifying. It is because, but it goes back to what you said in that spider web example is that you are the center of the web. And every yeah. once in a while, you as center of web goes to uh, an event on a Sunday morning um, and you share an experience with a bunch of other yous in the center of the web. And then you go back to what your lonely life is. And and, and I know there's small groups and I know there's, there's ways in which churches have tried to emphasize getting together in communities. But I would say that what I know behind the scenes is a minimum of 90% of the energy, time, and resources of the church is spent on Sunday morning as opposed yeah. to developing what you're describing as as being able to do the lonesome life within the context of the we, which is then a suddenly is not lonesome anymore. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a twofold thing for me because with the idea of a lonesome life, I would say then that I I feel isolated or lonesome from a lot of the secular world because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. But I feel further alone in the Christian world because I'm not content with what the church has to offer. And one thing that I have found over and over is that there is very little room for difference in the church. There is not much allowance for that. And the number of conversations that I have had with people where we sit across the table from each other and I can feel us both thinking, can I say this or is this about to ruin this relationship? Because I'm about to say something that doesn't align with the church. Right. Right. And 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 because there is sort of this unwritten set of rules by which we're meant to operate. And it determines who has insider status and who has outsider status according to those unwritten, sometimes written yeah. rules by how we operate. But you're right. I mean, we we sat this last Sunday and we zoomed a, a very good friend of mine into our little church gathering of 20-ish people or whatever in, in, yeah. in the, the family room of our house. And I was just so pleased that there was a few people in the room that felt the freedom to say out loud the things that they otherwise wouldn't have had context to ever say in any other place, because that's actually what they're carrying with them in their faith all throughout the week. And, but they actually had a venue to be able to then say it out loud within the context of a we. And, yeah. and that's, well, A, you simply can't do it on a Sunday morning, the way no. that the events are structured. Um, There's and, no time. Yeah. And some churches have uh, other environments where that is a little bit more possible, but still it's, it's uh, minimal at best. So you are, left with the, these profound questions and nowhere to go. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but especially when it gets to be 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, and all those questions have a weird way of suddenly manifesting Absolutely. themselves to the point that maybe I can't sleep so well, and I don't really have a great place to go to them all. And, and I'm afraid sometimes if I bring it up that they're going to pull out the stake, jam it in the ground, pull some wood around that stake, pour some gas on that wood <laughs> and light that match, baby, because I shouldn't be saying Absolutely. or thinking of like even thinking that stuff. Yeah. And yet, if we trust that God's kingdom can handle even our most profound heretical styles of questions, because God isn't afraid of us, God will lead us towards that which is shalom and his kingdom. There is a way of shalom yeah. and he can bend us towards those things. He's then not square, scared of our questions, however heretical they might be on the front end. Absolutely. And when you talked about our Sunday gathering and everything as one of the most beautiful moments that we have had so far in that Sunday gathering was, first of all, we had someone from your generation who has been going to church all his life. You made me sound old right there. Yeah, well. 
truth is truth. I get it. What, okay, continue. What can you do? Continue. You yes. called me an abysmal failure. I did. Earlier, I did. So I, did, I feel yeah, I like this is even. You have now. a run. You have a runway of insults. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Um, asked a really genuine and beautiful question about why we were saying some of the things that we were saying, and then one of the younger people in our group asked a question about why a youth pastor would have reacted a certain way to something yeah. somebody had said. Like we had both ends of the spectrum from somebody who's like, I don't understand why someone in the church would say that because the the innocence and the beauty of like, but that's not how I have experienced religious community in the context of him living in a religious community that is very, very different than most people. And then in somebody who has lived in Western Christendom being like, why are you guys all saying that this is bad mm. and not like, but that it was such a genuine question from both sides. And then the response from the room was as genuine as it was. I was like, oh, we have begun to accomplish what we were trying to do in creating this space right. because it means people can ask their questions without being afraid. And and that that would be my among my deepest hopes is that we trust Absolutely. God enough that our questions are not scary to him, that God is not like thrown off balance and saying, <laughs> like my phrase from this whole episode, wait, what? God is not in yeah. heaven going, wait, what? Hey like, now. He's not thrown off balance by this stuff. And so yeah. we should have the freedom to be able to come knowing that if we come in a spirit of openness and, and really are seeking that which is good, right, true, like all of that kind of stuff, that then there's no reason to be afraid of our questions. Let's just let's just bring them to the table. And I just- absolutely. I think that would be so helpful to the extent that we can gather to to be able to eliminate or at least alleviate some of that lonesome life. So, I mean, you, you've talked a bit about um, the idea of church as business is just rubbish mm-hmm. um, and and that we're invited to a lonesome life, but not necessarily given them the context to live that lonesome life in a way that would have the people around us. But I know you've yeah. got a few other things uh, too. You've got a couple other things we want to talk well, about in this one too. Yeah, I just, about the idea of, uh, differences and genuine questions not really being okay in a church setting um, is first of all, and I I have permission. I requested permission to share this story. Yep. Um, we actually wanted to call her on this we one. Did. We did. We did. Um, she'll be in part of different episodes. I'm but yes. sure. But um, a f- a friend of mine was recently on a youth retreat where they went camping for a week or a weekend or something like that. Um, and while they were there, they were doing devotionals and they had different students from whatever do the devotionals every day, which first of all, I could do a whole episode on why I hate devotionals, <laughs> but whatever, that will take too long for right now. But she and a couple of her friends were put on the devotional for that day and they said that they decided they were going to try and do something a little controversial. And so she got up and was doing her little bit of the talk and whatever her friends had already gone. And she said that she does not read her Bible very much because reading her Bible is not where she experiences God. Right. And she said it was dead quiet for a while. And then her youth leader came in and sort of started facilitating discussion and somebody else from their group, I mean, very passive aggressively was like, well, I do find God in the Bible, which means that that is where you find God. And that's what you do. And if you're not doing it that way, you're doing something wrong. And her youth leader followed it up with asking the group right there in front of everyone, 
if they had any advice about how to read your Bible in a better and more fulfilling way. Mm. And then as they were all getting off the bus, she made a point to tell my friend the daily Bible verse. And I was like, that is so horrendous that my friend had the guts to like stand up in front of that group and be like, I experience God in a different way than the rest of you. And their response was, you are doing something wrong. So in front of the group, we're going to try and tell you how to be better. Yeah. Ah, boy, oh boy. I, there's so much in that. And, and it, for maybe at, at the risk of um, beating a dead horse, we, there's so much, we just know as part of the deeper magic that, that when we reference the deeper magic, we're talking about that there is a deeper magic from before the dawn of time. There's a way in which right. God has brought the beauty and wonder into this world as Aslan saying creation into being. And, and we'll talk so much about all of that, that, um, as the wineskin of the institutional church needs to disintegrate, the deeper magic that has always been God's beautiful kingdom, well, it, it's not, as you've said earlier, it's not under threat. And so um, <clears throat> we have so many different places to go. And one of them is where, like, what role does the Bible have in our lives? And, Absolutely. And I am somebody who um, has a, a very um, high regard for for the God-inspired, Holy Spirit-breathed the words of Scripture um, I, I wouldn't shy away from that for a second. There's, there, there's been a pretty recent movement in these last 20 years to try to um, disregard that scripture has an inspiration to it or, or, or a God-breathed reality. And I just resist that on every level. I think yeah. it, it, is a, it is a sacred text in the way that it's meant to be. But now having said that, having established that I am that person, I suppose some people would think I'm terribly conservative on that. Oh, and yeah. I love it in my classes when my students are like, you're so conservative. And then other students are like, you're so liberal. I'm like, great. I don't <laughs> fit in any of those dumb categories. Great. You all hate me. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm looking at. And, and that's, so, that's how most of my life is. As a, <laughs> as a not Christian Christian, all right. of my life is just going, oh, so actually you all hate me. That's fine. <laughs> I love okay. that phrase, not Christian Christian. So in, in the context of having my life completely altered by the beautiful, inspired God, breathe words of scripture and I've never studied it once in the ways that I think we're meant to study it without having come out and just being cut to the quick and yeah. encouraged and inspired and like and all of that at the same time I would say that the way it's being used as now related to the story that you had with your friend is almost entirely unhelpful yeah. Not the least of which is that um, we have this sort of propensity to just rip verses out of their context and sta- you know, tape them to our steering wheel and have life verses that are completely inconsistent altogether with what the invitation is. I mean, it is maddening to me that really the only Old Testament verse that my evangelical students tend to know when they come into my classes, other than maybe Genesis 1-1, right. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like most people know that. <laughs> yeah. that and they know some things. They know Noah, they yeah, know yeah, Exodus, yeah. but I mean, they, don't they don't know, know any stories. Verse. Right. They don't yeah. know any, but the one verse that they know, the one verse oh, that they know no. inevitably is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that they've ripped out of context, which is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper no. you, to give you hope in a future. And they're using it from this sort of like American model that after their yeah. boyfriend or girlfriend has broken up with them, their God life has is devastated. For my life. They've lost their job, their dog died, whatever it is. But they claim that God will still prosper them according to American metrics. And so they've ripped this verse out of context yeah. and are using it in ways that just simply aren't consistent with the kingdom. Or we can safely say that prior to the 1600s, prior to the printing press, almost every faithful believer who followed Jesus to the end and wrung it out until their last drop of breath left them yeah. would have not ever had access to the scriptures. 
Um, The first three centuries of the church didn't even have something called the New Testament. And so... (laughs) So like we just it's worth a conversation about how I think we've we've almost made an idol out of certain versions of the biblical text and certain devotional practices oh, absolutely. that might actually not be they might be well intentioned and I'm sure they are well intentioned because it's what we know but I think if we just step back and say I think we need to to reimagine and revisit how we do access the beautiful God-inspired words of scripture because what was perpetrated upon your friend was yeah. this oppressive weight that actually wasn't going to be helpful as opposed to an equipping yeah. of, of how do we get in the word together. And and so to your, like, that's the example you're using, I know, but to your, I think a lot of people don't feel the freedom to say out loud the things that they're probably thinking about in the quietness of their mind and of their heart yeah. because they're afraid of the kind of reaction they're likely to experience in those moments. And, and that's it. But that does happen in, in some institutional environments for sure. Absolutely. And I think it should be about the um, ripping Bible verses out of context, because why does that happen so oh, much? Um, but also just the way that Christians behave and present themselves to the rest of the world. It should be a red flag that we are doing something wrong. When I, first of all, when my secular friends could not care less that I am different from they are, but I am t- terrified to say that in a church setting yeah interesting. like first of all that's a huge red flag second of all um the fact that the reaction that i get when i say to my secular friends that i'm a christian and if they have an issue with the church their response is oh but you're a cool christian <laughs> right so funny right that is the response that i get it should be a massive red flag that that is the same response that i get when i tell people who are not american that i'm american because when I'm in Scotland, having grown up there and like learned a lot of my language while I'm there, I have like a thick accent when I'm there. I do not sound American. It's funny to me, yeah. It's it's funny. Um, but when I was there this last year and I would tell people that I'm from the States, they would be like, oh, what? Really? And like they were always so confused by that. And then later, as people would inevitably crap on Americans, because that's what everybody who's not they from do. America does. Yep. Because really, as soon as you get some outside perspective, you're like, wow, we're really obnoxious. I'm so sorry on yeah, behalf you, of my country. Having lived overseas, you can usually tell it America. And, and I do, I, oh, like, yeah. I genuinely love our country in so many ways, but it, we have a way of life that we're not always aware of no. until we're not in America. And you can tell it immediately. <laughs> you can spot them right. a mile away. A mile away. It's so funny. Um, but what's really interesting is that then inevitably when my non-American friends would start talking about how terrible America is, they would then look at me and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. We're not talking about you. You're not really American. <laughs> mm. And it's so interesting because that's the same response that I get when I say that I'm Christian. You're not really Christian. I'm not really Christian or I'm a cool Christian or right. there's qualified. Like we are not associate associating you with this group of people that we actively dislike. And yet there's still something because compelling about different. you and something interesting. Like they want to be with you. Like yeah. there, there's a compelling something that does come from your faith, but it isn't the version that they're typically used to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, and, and, and all of that, like, as we're talking kind of the deconstruction of the institutional church, I, I think what we, what we really hope to do in all of these weeks and months and years ahead with the whole staple of people that we've referenced is we want to like to reconstruct a, a faithful, beautiful witness of people 
that people would say, oh, you're a cool version of a Christian. Yeah. Not because you then fit into the world somehow in your lonesome life, but there's just something about you that when you're in the room, something just shifts, whether you're in a secular room or a Christian room or whatever, there's just something different. I would imagine when Jesus walked into the room, uh, independent of whatever kind of room it was, something shifted. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest things for me and one of the reasons that I was less aware of when I was in high school and became more aware of when I began university and then for a while was thinking, how do I wrestle with this as a as a Christian woman specifically? Which is going to be one of the last points we cover here, yeah, right? Yeah, is, is one of the hardest things for me is that I want nothing more than to be that person in the room where things shift and to be that person who creates space for other people to exist and to experience God. And and this is what I have chosen to devote my life to. Yeah. And because of a few, I mean, you're teary about the idea I'm that so, you do, and you have yeah. devoted your life to it. And the idea that the thing that I have devoted my life to will not allow me to be a full participant because I am a woman yeah. is infuriating. <laughs> I have spent my life as a young woman in the church being told that I am lesser, that I am sinful and tempting, that all of my value comes from my ability to be a wife and a mother. Mm-hmm. And that I am not allowed to be a full member of the church because they mistranslated some out of context passages yeah. from one letter to one church in a very specific set of circumstances. Yeah, I think that's. Um, and that is not no, no. the God that I chose to follow. That God would not be withholding that from me. Agreed. And, and I'm, that's, that's a, probably a two or three or a 67 part series that we'll do about, um, women in the church, women in the kingdom, Absolutely. women of faith. And, and I think what I'm, what I'm most excited about that is it feels like we're presented with two options. We're presented with what is perceived. And I really mean perceived to be the biblical option because people think yeah. the Bible is saying that women are supposed to be subservient to men in the household and in the church. Um, and so we're, we're presented, well, if we want to be Bible-believing Christians, we need to function that way. And we end up in the kind of scenario that you've so aptly described about how you're not a full participant in those places. Like, thank goodness dude has a pipeline to God. And oh maybe gosh. maybe a woman <laughs> can at least get to God through dude. And, and just like that whole setup of all that, many people understandably, but I would dare I say maybe um, wrongly think that that is what scripture is teaching. On the flip yeah. side of it, you have a whole movement of churches that have rejected that point of view, but they haven't rejected that point of view on the basis of an understanding of scripture. They've rejected no. that point of view on the basis of more of a progressive political. Um, yeah, the idea of feminism. Exactly. And so they're saying women need to be involved in the family and the church in a different kind of way and in the world based on a political predisposition um, of, of feminism or empowerment. And you and I both completely reject that notion. Yeah. Just like we reject the weird biblical notion, because I think when we get into this, we'll find that the male and female starting in Genesis one and two are meant to live side by side as distinctive from 
but equally empowered to steward God's beautiful creation together side by side, holding yeah. hands in the mutual submission of love to one another. And and that's a mouthful. I'll be able to say that a thousand times over because I teach a sexuality class right, and, right. and teach all this stuff on an ongoing basis. And I can't wait to talk about that totally. in this kind of context, a little bit more unvarnished maybe than I'm even able to talk about it sometimes on the radio and on podcasts and or in the classroom. Um, but I think when we understand kingdom life, men and women are supposed to be standing side by side with one another. And, and dare I say, I think even churches that are functioning under the leadership of a solo dude or even a solo female are not representative of what kingdom life is supposed to be. So to your point, to call women as full participants in this beautiful kingdom life that we're meant to be isn't somehow compromising scripture at the altar of feminism. It is understanding what Paul was up to when he was telling Timothy these things about, I don't allow women to teach or understanding what Paul was up to in Ephesians when he says that the male is the head of the household, like all of those sorts of things. We need to get into those passages and understand much better maybe what's going on there. Because you and I, I mean, I'll speak for me. I'm not, these are fancy theological words that probably a lot of people don't know anymore. But <laughs> um, complementarianism is a, is a word that says I that, wrote an essay for my theology class I know about you that. did. I know you did. And complementarianism would say that we complement one another, but we have different roles. And the male, the, the dude is supposed to lead. Egalitarianism means that we're basically not all that different. We're just supposed to kind of do the same thing. But we're going to probably argue for something different, that there is a difference yeah. between male and female, but we need that both at the table within the context of mutual submission and love one for another. And I think it's going to be a helpful invitation that'll also, whatever th- whatever the church is meant to be, as the people of God, can I say the definition again? Yeah, go for it. As the people of God, yep. follow, let's see if I can do this. The people of God following Jesus indwelt by the spirit to shine the light of the now and coming kingdom so that all of the image bearers that God uh, died for in love would be brought safely back into his beautiful family. Um, that that is what, that's the church. Yeah. And men and women are, are needing to, to, to be representative of the beautiful love of the kingdom, one for another, not just in marriage, but in all walks of life, both needing to be at the table in the fullness of God's image. And, and we'll talk about that a lot more. Absolutely. And I think it's the idea that Eve is talked about as a companion to Adam. And I don't know when we decided that the word companion meant servant or (laughs) assistant or any other number of things that would be lesser. But if Eve is a companion to Adam, then Adam is also a companion to Eve. Which means Genesis 2. Exactly. And I think that that pulls it away both from the complementarian idea and from feminism as it currently stands, because to be even a little bit more confusing, I also am not a feminist in the sense that I am not associating myself with the current feminist movement, which I think is less pro-woman and more anti-male. Yeah, for sure it is. Which is not what I'm about. Like, I, I do not think that men are lesser than women, and I think that that is often the message that is being communicated by, by modern feminism. Um, but that is all conversations for another episode. It is. I'm looking forward to that. We'll have a whole big long series. I have like, I just can't wait to talk about (laughs) all these things with you and some of the people that we know are behind the scenes that want to participate in this in terms of sexuality and gender and, and male and female relationships. So not just that there's so many different things, biblical, theological, because here's what we know that like the deeper magic that Aslan breathed into creation. Right. I mean, you said it so well earlier in this episode that, 
God, I would say, I tend to say it this way, just to paraphrase you. Right? Yeah. God, God's kingdom is not under threat. No. Like we don't have, we don't have to worry about the <laughs> idea that God's thing, kingdom is under threat because he, he breathed a deeper magic. All th- it's woven throughout creation. And, um, and, and it's maybe we have the opportunity to, um, participate once again in the way in which he breathed creation and yeah. because he did breathe this magic into creation and that was what he was about restoring when he came to the cross it wasn't some weird version of assuaging an angry brutal god that demanded a bunch of blood at the cross there was something else that happened in that beautiful event and we'll talk about that in the next episode yeah about what is salvation what is discipleship what are these things what happened in that cross event because it wasn't God demanding a bunch of blood so that finally his anger would be satisfied. God was breaking the power of sin and death that disfigured the deeper magic all the way across the board. And even Lewis, re- you know, referenced that in some of his line, the witch in the wardrobe kinds of stuff. It's going to, it'll be good yeah. stuff. Well, I actually have that passage pulled up right now. Well, maybe that's a great way to close uh, up this first episode of the deeper magic. Absolutely. And so basically we decided that we were going to take our name for this podcast from this passage from the line the witch in the wardrobe I'm glad you got a call up. when we find out that aslan has spoiler alert been resurrected after he sacrificed himself for edmund who is genuinely my favorite character in that series mm-hmm. i love edmund so much and i would also highly recommend um sarah sparks into the lantern waste album it's a concept album based off of the Chronicles of Narnia, but it pulls in the biblical stories that those characters are based off of. It makes me weep. Oh, it's it's incredible. unbelievably beautiful. It's incredible. Yes. But so it says at that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, cry. as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end. And there was no Aslan. Who has done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, said a great voice from behind their backs. It is more magic. They looked around, and there, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for apparently it had grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as frightened as they were glad. But what does it all mean? asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back, into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Hmm. It's hard to even know much to say about that. That is, it is the the deeper magic. It is so worth exploring, and at the risk of having too many words to to reduce the power of what Lewis has written in that, um, I I suspect <laughs> that if we're able to do this well, but not just us, the people that we know that are are voices in all of this, that the the desperation and the pain and the sorrow and the isolation and the loneliness, there, there is hope within that deeper magic. Like this kingdom actually is real. And so even though you and I maybe are not 
the happiest with the way that the church, but we're not alone, right? I mean, gosh, right. I mean, we're just we're just trying to reflect what we've heard and seen with our friends and the research and all of that. Shockingly, we're not as alone as we make ourselves believe. No, of course not. And um, and so there is hope. There is hope. There's a beautiful kingdom of deeper magic. So till next time, and I suspect we're going to explore a little bit more of that deeper magic itself that came right out of that passage. It's been. Let me just say this: maybe you're not the abysmal failure, <laughs> but but I'm not ready to say that just yet. I'm going to have to pray about that tonight. Okay, yeah. I'm on probation. <laughs> you're you're on abysmal failure <laughs> probation right now. Indeed, you're. I'm going to have to rethink my point of view uh, quite well. I'm delighted to do it with you, Anna. It's been a, it's been a blast. Yeah, this was really fun. All right, till next time, the deeper magic. Bye, guys. Deeper Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. 